Hello, and welcome to the March 28th, 2023 episode of the Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you've never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or estate of any performer or composer, dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is Mick Colossa. Mississippi Mick Colossa lives in Memphis, but was born in Michigan and lived in Mississippi for nearly 30 years, where he was given his nickname. He has played blues in solo and duo acoustic formats and with his bands for years. Mick has performed in legendary blues venues such as Ground Zero, The Rum Boogie Cafe, Biscuits and Blues, Martha's Midway Tavern, The Bradfordville Blues Club, Darwin's, Blind Willies, Underground 119, the Capitol Oyster Bar, the National Blues Museum, and many more. He has also performed at multiple blues festivals in North America and Europe. Each of Mick's albums has received significant airplay and radio chart positions, and they all included different styles of blues. Rather than staying within a single genre of blues, Mick loves and celebrates all styles of blues and also loves to find the blues hidden in songs of other genres, bluesifying songs, and doing what he calls uncovers. Mick can offer four different flavors of blues to an audience. His solo acoustic shows feature Delta and Piedmont blues, as well as some surprise folk blues tunes. With his endless blues band, Mick delivers modern Mississippi, Memphis, and Chicago blues with a taste of rock. For a different feel, Mick teams up with Memphis guitarist Mario Monterosso Mario to deliver classic old-school blues with a jazz influence in the styles of T-Bone Walker, Louis Jordan, and Lowell Fulson. Mick also delivers a soulful blues show flavored with a bit of rock by teaming up with 
Mississippi blues man, Dexter Allen. Regardless of the venue and configuration, Mick delivers lively and animated performances, <coughs> assuring that the fans enjoy themselves as they listen to him playing his free-range blues. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Mick Colossa. Hello, Mick. Hello there. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you. It's uh, really super to have you uh, uh, as a guest on my podcast today. I've really been looking forward to uh, talking with you. And uh, so looking forward to the discussion that we're going to have today. Uh, I'd like to start off. As am I. <laughs> yeah, well, great. I'd like to start off uh, hearing you talk a bit about about Memphis. I've been to Memphis and 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 loved it there. And uh, Memphis certainly is a musical town mm -hmm. uh, with Beale Street, and you've got Sun Records and the wonderful uh, Rock and Soul Museum that's there. And of course, it was the home of Stax Records and the Blues Foundation and so on and mm -hmm. so forth. Lots of great things musically happening in, in uh, Memphis. Yep. But many of in my audience may need kind of an, a reorientation to the sure. blues scene in Memphis because mm -hmm. uh, I have uh, an audience that extends to 35 countries outside of the United States. And uh, and certainly even some of my listeners who are more immediate to uh, where I am in Wisconsin might not be familiar with with Memphis. So mm -hmm. would you please uh, hip my audience to the blues scene in Memphis? Well, certainly. Uh, you know, M Memphis. And it, it, it's amazing how many people confuse Memphis and Nashville, both being in Tennessee. The, the distinction is uh, Nashville really covers a lot of music. Nashville is a music business town. Memphis is a music culture town. Mm. And it's quite different. That means there's a lot more broke musicians here. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, this city, we live and breathe music. And uh, it's been that way for a long time. You mentioned Beale Street, which is kind of the, the epicenter. Uh, where it began, it was the it was the African-American section of town uh, 120, 130 years ago. Mm -hmm. And when uh, W.C. Handy, who's considered father of the blues, and I'd say he's probably more like a really great uncle, uh, he was in in uh, uh, living in, in, in on Beale Street, but he was visited in, uh, in Mississippi quite often and had lived there for a while. Uh, it's a trumpet player. He noticed a, a, an old African-American guy at the train station in Tutwiler playing a guitar using the back of a pocket knife as a slide. And he'd mm -hmm. never heard that kind of music. Mm -hmm. And he sat and listened and started to codify it. So at the time, there was a lot of jug band and other kinds of music going on in Beale Street. But as Handy started to dig into the blues, more blues started to come out of Beale Street and artists like Memphis Minnie and others started, started showing up. So we've had this amazing place where the blues kind of grew up organically. Uh, and, and many of the, the blues artists from Mississippi came to Memphis looking for work. 
And because there wasn't any, they went to Chicago. I've always said if they would have had jobs in Memphis, there never would have been a Chicago blues scene. Mm -hmm. But uh, it really sprung from there. Um, and over the years, it grew and grew. And as soul music came out of R&B, which was also coming out of Beale Street, uh, places like Royal Studios and Stax started to gather together. And uh, so you had legendary things coming out of Memphis. We had from Stax, we had Booker T and the MGs and, and uh, with Don, Don and Steve Cropper and those folks. And mm -hmm. many of the artists uh, from that era are still hanging on and around here. Uh, the other bass player at Stax with Don Dunn was a guy by the name of Leo Goff. Leo went on to play with the Buddy Miles Express and with Albert King and Little Milton and a number. Leo, I play with Leo on a regular basis. He's been on some of my albums. Uh, mm -hmm. So we still have those those folks. Uh, you can go to a jam and find yourself singing next to Al Green, who just want, wants to join in with you. And, <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's, it's just simply amazing, the people that you find here. Um, I toured with Willie Hall, who is the drummer for the Blues Brothers. Okay. He was, uh, and he was also played with Booker T and the MGs and Cool and the Gang and so many other folks. But uh, so, you know, w Willie shows up and, we, you know, we play together. An amazing drummer. I've recorded with him. Uh, but we've got uh, a guitar player here, Brad Webb, who uh, was Leslie West's partner as a guitar player I'll be but Brad, Brad's wife gave birth to a special needs child Brad said I'm going to stay home and take care of the kid he stays here at place now he's you know an amazing musician who decided not to be a big hit just simply because he had family responsibilities mm -hmm. uh, we've got artists who have done literally thousands of shows on Beale Street a dear friend of mine Eric Hughes just his band just got a brass note on Beale Street, and that's the way we note the the uh, important musicians for for Memphis. Um, so we've got these folks who just create all kinds of music, not just blues. There's mm -hmm. bluegrass and jazz and all all kinds of wonderful things here, and we all influence each other, which is it, it's it's wonderful. It's a Blues, unlike a lot of other genres, is a is a community and a family, and people support each other. Uh, it's not competition, and it, and and it's it's wonderful. So it's hard not to make music here. <laughs> well, you know, Mick, one of the things I guess that that uh, you know fascinated me, and and I always, I and I don't know if it's just my academic background, but I always. Um, tend to ask that question why did whatever happened happen here and i remember being struck with that when i first visited memphis now i have to just preclude that with before i came to memphis i was in clarksdale mississippi mm -hmm. this was a planned trip that uh i i my my wife and I, my wife has a sister that lives in the Atlanta area, and we usually go and visit her once a year. And when we drive down, of course, we've taken different different routes mm -hmm. uh, because I, I 
don't like to cover the same real estate twice if I don't have to. Uh, so, uh, one, one time I said to my wife, I says, well, what do you think if we were to take and, and go, you know, I'd love, I'd love to go to Clarksdale, Mississippi, obviously because of, you know, what's happened there. And, and mm -hmm. I, I says, I'll take your picture at the crossroads, you know, and we'll claim you're trying to sell your soul to the devil to become a better recorder player, uh, or something, <laughs> you know? Because, uh, well, my wife is actually, she's she's very talented. She plays recorder and harp and sings and plays piano and Wonderful. is a music theorist and and, uh, and and so forth. So anyway, we'd been in Clarksdale and we spent a couple of days there. We went through the Blues Museum there and we went and listened to uh, uh, music at uh, Ground Zero and mm -hmm. so forth. And then on the heels of that, went to Memphis. And of course, I've already mentioned to you about you know we went through the the rock and soul museum uh -huh. and uh, because we happened to be there at the time when the ncaa basketball tournament was going uh -huh. on and of course the museum is right adjacent to where the arena is. is right is. and not far from beale street so i remember we we parked we walked down to beale street went and got something to eat uh and uh and then walked back and i said well and and it looked like because the basketball tournament was going on the museum wasn't really super busy so i said well let's go through the museum well I, i'll tell my listeners and you already probably aware of this it's a wonderful museum and uh what struck me was when you said all kinds of music comes together in memphis and it's reflected there in the museum you see all kinds of 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 different you know and and how and and so the question in my mind came up why memphis why did you know is there country music and blues and r&b and rockabilly and all of that coming out of memphis so i looked at a map and i figured i i i thought well duh here it is it's it's right on the mississippi river you know which in the days before automobiles were particularly uh -huh. prevalent uh people would have traveled by riverboat or by and, and then the rail lines of course yeah, uh, follow, here, follow right? the mississippi and uh and i said because uh, you know it's it's a great geographical location it's proximity to mississippi where so many of course great artists uh came out i mean i've been uh, uh being struck when when seeing uh ike turner's piano you know yeah. that he re, that he recorded Rocket eighty eight on. I mean, I thought, oh man, that's just that's just cool. But anyway, how all those kinds of things came together, um, and and that geographic uh, location, I imagine, had something to do with it. The other thing that that fired off in my mind was I recently saw the movie Elvis. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know if you've seen it yet or yes. not. I but uh, my wife and I we've just kind of been lining up making sure that we're seeing all the movies that have been nominated for Academy Awards for Best Picture and so we watched Elvis the other night and I was uh, I was quite taken with uh, you know the way the uh, the story was presented it was a very different kind of biopic uh, but uh, you know kind of the way that uh, you know 
Memphis and Beale Street and the uh, African American nightclubs and so on uh, mm-hmm. were were portrayed, I thought was was rather interesting. And if you've seen the film, uh, I'd welcome your comments on how things were were portrayed. But uh, anyway, it's uh, I, I I agree. I think you're right. I think it's so much a part of the culture. You can't go anywhere and not uh, have music. It's more than just a business. It's sort of like, I, I would say, similar to uh, New Orleans. Right. I know right. when I go there, to New there Orleans. Are, there certainly are similarities. And I think that one reason that we see all of these music, all these musical types coming together is they all come from the same place. Yes. I mean, Ken Burns was was very wise in his in his documentary series about country music to start with blues because that's where it came from. And you listen to early country it was white people singing blues and uh and and there was always that overlap you know we didn't have these specific genres until the 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 radio and music industry decided to split it all up you know before music was music as as muddy Waters said he he knew far more gene autry songs than robert johnson songs yeah uh holland wolf's Musical hero was Jimmy Rogers, the yodeling break man. Yeah. Howland Wolf said, I tried to yodel and couldn't. That's why I howled. I howled, yes. Yes. Uh, but but so all these musics come all this music comes together. I was I was at Ground Zero Saturday night with a friend who had never been there. Oh. I said, look around at this crowd. You are looking, you know, half of the people here are are barely getting by. African Americans have a rough time in the Delta, and the other half probably have signs on their cars and they're all loving this music and operating together and and it, it struck me i've lived in mississippi and in and, and memphis in the area for about 35 years and it struck me coming from the north that any kind of differences go and go away when the music is playing and so mm-hmm. I, I heard of an amazing blues band all african americans and what do they do they sing tennessee whiskey because everybody knows that song and, and they don't uh, uh, all those forms of music come back together here, and and they they split up elsewhere. But you know, uh, Muddy said the blues had a baby, and they called it rock and roll, and that's very true. And I think too many people in our demographic are trying to turn blues back into rock and roll, uh, and they don't need to. Blues, you know, it's yeah, rock, it, all it, rock. Yeah. But uh, you know, it all came out of the same place, and and I'm. I'm working with some folks now to get them to, to, to get more people to really understand how all of this is so connected. Willie Dixon said blues is the roots and everything else is the fruits. And I won't disagree with Willie on too many things, but on that I'll say blues is the trunk because the roots of blues include certainly African music, mm-hmm. but, but the musical roots in, in music theory, that's Celtic music we're listening to. Exactly. And and you know the one four five coming around turning around at the five that's that's Celtic we also find it in Eastern Europe but that's absolutely absent in in African music mm-hmm. and, but I found that the 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 rhythm of Celtic music actually comes from North Africa the Romans brought that in so yeah. it's all this it, but also the 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 early blues instruments were banjo and fiddle yeah. Uh, well, you know, you talk about you talk about all these different and like the guitar. People forget that the guitar came from the Middle East. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it came into Europe, but from oh, oh, from, yeah, the middle, from the from the Middle East, and right. you hit the and you hit the nail right on the head. The fact that the harmonic uh, harmonic uh, material that's found in the blues is Western European. Oh, absolutely. You know, the interesting thing is is that I, and I, the 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 reason we have guitar being the predominant instrument in the blues is because. The guitar was featured in the Afro-Cuban music that was showing up in New Orleans, but more importantly, it was also brought to the Delta by the migrant Mexican workers, uh, which is why they say, well, that, you know, traditionally Robert Johnson tuned his guitar. They called it Spanish tuning. It's an open mm-hmm. G because mm-hmm. that's what mariachi music uses. And mm-hmm. uh, And why do we have a slide guitar? Because somebody was hearing what was going on in Hawaii and like that sound and they incorporated it into blues. So it's this wonderful stew of, of, uh, of amazing things, certainly filtered through and translated and given to us by the African-American community. But it's this wonderful, it's world music. I've got to share, mm-hmm. I, I was in Guatemala. Uh, I, was, I was fishing there. I was in this little bar and a, the band consisted of these kids in their late teens and they were playing ranchero and some different kinds of things. And all of a sudden they started playing blues and they played it very well. Mm-hmm. This, this is in Puerto San Jose, Guatemala, mm-hmm. you know? So I said, where did you learn that? Blues radio international. A friend of mine runs at Jesse Finkelstein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you know, people get it. You can play muse, blues anywhere. I go to the Caribbean all the time. Difference between blues and calypso is cotton versus coconuts, but yeah. it's the same music. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that uh, you know. I, uh, I I often taught my students was that uh, you know we had labels applied to music for the purposes of marketing to particular audiences. You had to know who was buying particular records. Mm -hmm. But when you go back, it's all the same. It's just that if you were playing that music and you were white and you were rural, it was labeled old time or country music. If you were were African-American, then it was called blues or Mm -hmm. race records. And, uh, but it very easily could have been, you know, I mean, the same thing. And you mentioned the Ken Burns documentary. Uh, I, I agree. I think that he did just an awesome, uh, job on that. And I had, uh, I, I don't want to digress too much from, from that, but I had the pleasure of meeting, uh, uh, Bill Malone, who wrote the book country music Mm -hmm. USA that, Burns used kind of as the basis Mm -hmm. Uh, and Bill was even one of the talking heads on in the documentary, but I'll just make this brief. Anyway, he, he now lives in Madison, Wisconsin, just down about an hour down the road from me Mm -hmm. and our university had invited him to uh, speak and play at um, our uh, book festival and they asked me to introduce him well well, and i agreed but i said but i always want to read somebody's book first and his book country music usa was written in the late 60s it was actually a outgrowth of his doctoral dissertation but i'll tell (laughs) you it's really more about american 
music just like you were saying the, the, oh yeah the like you say blues is the tree trunk because the roots have so many other other uh you know places to go mm-hmm. um and i think uh uh the other thing that i remember fascinating uh for a while i taught world music at the university and uh so one of the arenas that I would get into and usually it came more towards the end of the semester after we'd gone around the planet and we came right back to the United States and talked more about, you know, indigenous music in the United States. Mm -hmm. But there was a wonderful uh, video that I would share with my students of a, uh, it was a conference of some kind Uh, right now. I don't remember the name of the conference, but I do remember it was held at Emory university in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And they had three people on the panel. One was an Irish fiddler. One was a Scottish fiddler. And the other one was an Appalachian fiddler. And they, what was, what was interesting to me was they played the same repertoire, but they discussed how the style of fiddling differed from Scottish and Irish to Appalachian. And the, uh, uh, Scottish style of fiddling, they said, was all arm. Irish fiddling is all fingers. And uh, Appalachian uh, fiddling is kind of a combination of the two, but adding syncopation. Uh And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's 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 really interesting. And then your story about W.C. Handy discovering the guy in the train depot and 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 being intrigued by these sounds and codifying uh, what he was doing and, and, you know, kind of, uh, well, he didn't create the blues, but you know what I'm saying? He, uh-huh. he, he put, put a name to it and, and, and something, but, uh, uh, I also, uh, think about a really wonderful book. Uh, I'll think of the name of the, the author here in a minute, but it's called leaving the Delta. Right. And you know, the book. Yes. Okay, well, the same guy that wrote that book also wrote one called How the Beatles Destroyed Rock and Roll. I've read it. <laughs> You've read it. Well, you and I are going to be on the same page, and I can't remember the author's name right now. I'd but, have to go into the next room. <laughs> well, that's, you know, but we both know what we're talking about. Right. But what is intriguing to me is how both those books uh, are such valuable resources of history on oh, yeah. the development of American music, regardless of what you want to call it. Right. I, I think, I think we've gotten ourselves so hung up with labels and what we like oh. and what we don't like and so forth. And it's just music. And I think you made such an excellent point when you're talking about, um, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from, how much money you got. But when the music starts, all those barriers go away. And, oh, we, just really love, and we just love the music. And I, I've seen it over and over again. You know, I, I, I at one time I was vice chair of the board of the Blues Foundation. And, you know, people would say, you know, I can't tell you how many people I mean, say, oh, yeah, I like bluegrass. No, not really the same thing. You know, I do too, but. In fact, I did a bluegrass version of uh, She Came In Through the Bathroom Window, a Beatles song. Uh-huh. It worked out quite well. But but we like to say the blues is the music you didn't realize you loved. Exactly. Because you can't go through a day without hearing blues music somewhere. Uh, uh, 
usually on television or the radio. It's there used in commercials over and over again. And, and people don't even know it. Uh, you know, we've gone to clubs and say, oh, we don't, we don't, want, we don't want blues here. You know, our, our audience, won't, our, our patrons won't want it. And then they'll hear what we play and they say, oh, yeah, play all night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I think that's, I think that's, you know, people have preconceived notions of what they think mm -hmm. a particular style of music is. And, uh, you know, it's like jazz. I play jazz and people say, well, what kind of jazz? And I said, well, uh, you know, and you have to kind of describe because they have a, 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 a pre determined idea of what what you're ta talking about sure. uh, you know i mean it's like and when you you say you hear blues all the time it's like my appreciation of the allman brothers multiplied when i realized that statesboro blues was not their song that they were actually covering uh, and then when i heard the original and then listened to their version of it and i went yeah, man, that's, you know, you, you know, your ears just multiply and you, you, uh, you really uh, find that there's just a, a ton of great stuff out there that, uh, that, uh, you never, you, you, oh, you yeah. knew, you knew existed, but you kind of ignored. Well, you know, I was, I was fortunate when I was 14, I stumbled across an album called Robert Johnson, King of the Delta Blues Singers. Sure. When I got to the song Traveling Riverside Blues, I wore the grooves off that record. <laughs> uh, so, but, but it, it's funny. Then I discovered WLAK Records or a radio, WLAC out of Nashville and John R. And I started listening to all of his blues as a, as a teenager. And so you mentioned the Almond Brothers. By the time they came out, I had seen Muddy Waters do Hoochie Coochie Man live three times. Mm -hmm. So I heard what they did, and I couldn't stand it. Yeah. But I have so many friends that got into the blues because that's where they were introduced, was through the Almond Brothers or through Cream or somebody. Mm -hmm. So we, we look at, we, we talked about what was your on-ramp to the blues highway. And mine came from blues, but so many came from rock. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's another thing you say, you know, people say, what kind of jazz? Uh, I was faced with that. People said, what kind of blues do you play? And I'd say, all of it. And they'd mm -hmm. say, no, no, you're, 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 because I used to live in Clarksdale. Mm -hmm. They said, well, you can Clarksdale, you play Delta blues? Well, yeah, I do. But that isn't all. I also do Chicago blues. Oh, so you Chicago blues. I said, I play all of it. Mm -hmm. Now, finally, I actually trademarked the term free range blues. <laughs> Because I'm as likely to sing Sleepy Joe Estes as I am uh, uh, Willie Dixon or, or or anything else. I mean, it's all so wonderful. I'm, I I yeah. uh, I could I could spend all day listening to Josh White, and most blues fans have no idea who he was. Exactly. Yeah, and furthermore, a lot of people put him in the category of being a folk musician. Right. Just because he was he was uh, he performed with a lot of folk musicians. Oh, he did, and but you know, blues came into white America through folk festivals. You know, yes, that Muddy Waters had now Muddy Waters folk singer. Yeah, but uh, I I actually recorded and I still play it virtually every show I do. One Meatball, which Josh White didn't write, but he actually perfected that song, and and because uh, he did it seriously as opposed mm -hmm. to as a goofy version. Yeah. Uh, but I, I often challenge people, please listen to free and equal blues and tell me that you could perform that. Because mm -hmm. the only recording we have of it is live. And for the man to do that live is just stunning.
Oh yeah. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, there's so much great stuff out there and it's the roots of so much. (laughs) I tell you, I think that what, you know, I, uh, one of the things I used to tell my students was, you know, the more you learn, the more you find out, you don't know. Oh gosh. Yes. And the more you find out, you don't know, the more, you know, the more you want to learn, the more you learn, the more you find out you don't. In other words, you're never going to, you know, I say it's, it's a double-edged sword. I said, I've got some exciting news for you. You're never going to run out of new things to learn. I got yeah. some bad news for you. You're never going to run out of new things to learn. Yeah. Well, that's because... true. I, 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 I played yesterday in Clarksdale in a, a little club there called the Bluesberry Cafe. They have a thing on Saturdays and Sundays, breakfast and blues. So oh, I did okay. a show from, from 10 to 1. And uh, one of the songs that I like to do is an old Tommy Johnson song, Mr. Jelly Roll Baker. And uh-huh. I talk about that for its classic double entendre song. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, for you folks here, you're sitting, you know, we're sitting two miles from the place that calls itself the crossroads. I said, you will never find any historical record of Robert Johnson ever claiming he sold his soul to the devil. The right. song about the crossroads is about having to make a decision, not about selling his soul to the devil. It was Tommy Johnson who claimed he did that. Mm-hmm. And you could see some people grinning and some people saying, oh, my God, Santa Claus isn't real. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, um, well, you know, and then there's a there's a book I have. Um, oh, heck, it's upstairs, but it's on um, African-American uh, cultural uh, myths, legends mm-hmm. and so forth. And going to the crossroads is a common theme. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there have been not just great guitarists and blues singers, but also accordion players and crap shooters and oh, yeah. you name it, who have gone to the crossroads at midnight, supposedly to make a deal with the devil. So, sure. Yeah. yeah. A, a, a British blues fan, a dear friend of mine, sent me a cartoon of Robbie McJohnson, the, uh, the blues bagpipe player. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Who said, I wish I would have cut a different deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. That's good. Well, there's, you know, it's, it's, I, it's interesting how, you know, things, you know, it's like, like Robert Johnson. And I don't, I don't necessarily mean what I'm about to say to diss Robert Johnson because his music was fantastic. But, you know, when you consider that when that album was released, that was a compilation of recordings that he'd made uh, back in what, the mid to late thirties. Mid thirties, right. Yeah. Mid thirties, about 30. Yeah. And, and that the style he was playing was pretty much it was more of he was like more of a summative artist than a cutting edge artist oh absolutely i mean to the point where where dale dean wardlaw historian and 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 blues scholar in mississippi the guy who actually discovered found robert johnson's death certificate and was able to put a lot of things together um he and i were talking one day and i said you know i think i have a copy of every song that Robert Johnson based his whole catalog on. Mm-hmm. And people are, are some of them are horrified to find out that, I mean, if you listen to Love in Vain, which this, so many people thought the Stones wrote, right? you listen to that, but then if you understand that three years before that, Leroy Carr wrote When the Sun Goes Down, 
and Robert Johnson sold, stole every single note and point of inflection from it. Mm-hmm. And Sweet Home Chicago is Sweet Home Kokomo. I'm sorry. Open mm-hmm. up. And uh, 3220 Blues is Skip James 2220 Blues. Mm-hmm. And But what he was was a great, you're, you're right, he compiled an interpreter of all of that. Mm-hmm. And and he never intended to be a superstar. That's something that I think John Hammond Sr. decided was going to happen before Robert died. But I, I, I was fortunate enough to meet a lot of people who knew and play, traveled with Robert Johnson, with oh. Honey Boy Edwards and Johnny Shines and people like that. Mm-hmm. And and Robert Jr. Lockwood, who was his stepson. And and to learn those real stories, and, and they're actually more fascinating than the 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 legend that people have built around it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and for, for the true, really deep roots blues fan, Robert Johnson was not the seminal artist you know, mm-hmm. in the Mississippi Delta, he was relatively unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Muddy Waters said, hell, he was a ragtime player, not a blues man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yet, yet it, what's interesting is that it's his, his album that you mentioned, King of the Blues, that kick-started yeah. Eric Clapton and groups like the Animals and the mm-hmm. Stones and all of those uh, British invasion bands and and maybe even the the a lot of the the british uh blues scene which uh echoed back on us uh oh, yeah. tenfold mm-hmm. uh in the 60s and uh so it's kind of kind of interesting how uh, i i always love it when i i can read that kind of history that peels back the onion skin you know right and gets back to the the kind of the the real study of the story or or you know or just how mm-hmm. what we believe is the real story became the real story but then here's really what happened and stuff like that right. i i love those kinds of things but oh but, and, and, uh, do I, and i i don't want to, i'm not going to in any way denigrate robert johnson i'm a blues fan because right. he opened that door but then mm-hmm. i got to dig deeper and and, and the story got better, frankly. You know? <laughs> well, I, I'm right there with you. I, I, so I said, you know, at the top of my comments, I, I wasn't in, you know, in no way would I diss him. It's mm-hmm. just that the realities are, are in terms of where he came in history. And it might have been true that he was playing a lot of those songs 20 years before, but he didn't record them until, until the mid thirties when really that style was beginning to pass pass by but it doesn't really matter in the long in the long run of things it it is six of one half dozen of another because the fact of the matter is it's still it's still good you know music to listen to it still makes you it still responds uh or resonates excuse me absolutely so well let's uh let's uh kind of move on and and (laughs) we've talked about you play at ground zero you've played i forget the name of the other club where you played at uh, i played just about every venue in clarksdale for sure oh my gosh that's wonderful if if we've come to memphis where are you going to be playing this next week uh this next week i'm going to be rehearsing and then in the studio to cut a new album because i'm totally addicted to that okay uh on march 4th i will be doing a show at south main sounds in memphis okay uh it's what we call a guitar pull. I'll be with Doug McLeod and Jeff Jensen. We'll each do a short set, and then we'll sit on on the stage together and inspire each other with different different songs and telling okay. stories about each other. 
cool. That sounds really great. I, uh, I, you know, because uh, I, you know, I, I would love to get back to Memphis and I'd love to come and hear, hear you play and, and, uh, and know some places uh, to come. Unfortunately, it's like when I, the first time, the only time I've been in Memphis was when we were, we were passing through, we were just there for that one afternoon. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it's a place I've got to go back to and, and uh, relish uh, quite a bit more. Well, please uh, let me know before you I'll, do. I'll make sure you, you see the, the right spots and get you the good places. Mick, I'll definitely be in touch okay. with you when I when I come on down. Uh, I, I th uh, This also might end up being a redundant question as much as we've talked about players, but who have been models for your musical style in both singing and guitar playing? Oh, wow. That, that, it's, it's such an interesting thing. I said, my, my favorite vocalists are generally not in blues. I said, you know, it, it, I, I've been asked that question before, and I said, probably the, the most significant influence on my vocals is Frank Sinatra. Okay. And it was because of his phrasing and, yeah. and, and nothing just attitudinally. He didn't sing a song he didn't believe in. And Charlton Heston said of Sinatra, every song Sinatra sang was a three-minute movie. Yes. And I, I, I hear that. And 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 blue for me blues tells a story. It had, if it isn't telling a story, it's not blues. It's something else. Uh -huh. And and so because of that, I I I will will uh, not that I sing like Sinatra by any means. And you know, it's a more like combination of Leon Redbone and and uh, uh -huh. uh, and Louis Armstrong. Although I'm a little more flexible than than that, but. Uh, you know that that's where it goes, but I also just the influence of so many blues and jazz artists. Nat King Cole is another one who, uh -huh. who but it has to do with phrasing. I think my favorite current vocalist is Rachel Price. Rachel Price. Oh, listen to her stuff. She okay. has done some some amazing. She she's with a group called Lake Street Dive, but she's done several albums on her own, and it's it's her phrasing. Her note selection, and it's like I, I, there, there's a guitar player in Clarksdale, Walt Busby, who plays with a lot of blues artists, but he's very jazz and progressive music oriented. So you'll hear him play a solo and say, "Where in the world did that come from? It's not the way anybody else plays. Mm -hmm. Every note was proper and totally unexpected." And I, I just love that rather than having somebody. Just repeat, you know, what they've done before. Sure. So I'll listen for that. For guitar playing, I'm, I've am i got a T-shirt that sums it up. I'm, I'm the world's okayest guitar player. <laughs> okay. And, and so I, I try to be associated with better guitar players whenever possible. Uh, and and more recently, I've got rheumatoid arthritis. It's really starting to attack my hands. So uh -huh. that gets tougher all the time. But, um, you know, I... I as, as I said, you know, the, the Traveling Riverside Blues, I wore that out. The guitar playing on that song so enthralled me that I wore myself out trying to play it and couldn't figure out how one person could. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But because I started a lot of my early performances were in folk and rock, uh -huh. I, I tend to play a guitar differently. I do a lot of finger picking. And... Uh, 
So, you know, I bring that into to uh, my blues and it, it works okay. out well. Um, Mick, I was going to ask you about your the most recent album of yours that has has been released that I found mm -hmm. for the feral heart. Right. But now that you have revealed that you're going into rehearsal this week for a new album, I would like you to talk with us as much as you can. I know there's some things that you maybe won't want to talk about or you right. can't talk about, but would you tell us about this new album that you're, sure. you're starting to put together? Who's mm -hmm. going to be playing on it with you? Is the material uh, all originals? Are you doing any covers? You know, that sort of information. Whatever sure. you can share with us. Even Do you have a name for the album yet? Yeah, it's it, it's an, a totally acoustic album. I did an album last year called They Call Me Uncle Mick. Uh-huh. It was totally acoustic. The only instrument that was plugged in was a vibraphone. Okay. you need that for the baffles. Right. Uh, and And it's... Disappointing how few blues fans know that there is such a thing as a vibraphone. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I saw Lionel Hampton, you know. I, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this album will be called Wooden Music. Wooden Music. Wooden okay. Music. All right. And uh, I, I've got uh, um, I, Doug McLeod played on my last album. He will be on. This one as well on a song that that is called "Educated by the Blues." Okay. And what I learned from it, and how I still keep learning from it. Um, and is I'll, that a song, a song you wrote? Yes. Yes. Okay. I've got. I've got. There will be two non-original songs on it. Okay. Uh, one is a Guy Clark song. Guy Clark was one of my most favorite songwriters. Sure. And he did a great little tune called uh, Baby Took a Limo to Memphis. And too many blues fans haven't heard that song. So I'm going to do that. And I'll be joined on that by a friend of mine named Libby Ray Watson. Mm -hmm. And Libby is the real deal. She's an amazing artist uh, and has stayed very true to the blues. And so she'll, she'll be doing part of that with me. The other, the other, non-original will be i've got to look back at who wrote it but uh it's recorded by a few different people my favorite version is nat king cole's diana Krall did a wonderful version of it baby baby all the time mm, okay and again this is going to be, and we will deliver it as jazz based as possible but it's going to be totally acoustic it'll be acoustic guitars uh upright bass i i i the drummer for this album will be Tom Leonardo, who is an amazing, very straightforward jazz drummer. He doesn't get fancy. He's got a single Tom Tom and hardly ever uses it, you know. And mm -hmm. just, uh, he knows how to use brushes, which is something many blues drummers don't understand. Mm -hmm. A brush isn't something that you have to hit harder to get the same sound as a stick. You use the subtlety of the brushes. Right. But uh, so there's that. But I'll be doing. Uh, uh, I, a song that's almost an editorial about people come down, think they're playing blues and they're playing rock and roll. And the, the metaphor we'll use for it came from a friend of mine who calls herself Red Velvet, that she said, well, you see these Yankees come down to the South and they're going to get real. And the first thing they do is they get breakfast and they put sugar on their grits. 
<laughs> so keep your sugar out of my grits. And so the final line in this song is keep your metal out of my blues and keep your sugar out of my grits. <laughs> I love that line. Yes. But, having, it, uh, having it eaten grits, I, I know what you're talking about. Because salt, pepper, and butter. That's it. That's know? right. I, I I was never tempted to make them sweet. Yeah. Um, I've got a song called "You Got to Pay the Price," which is is uh, about uh, you know the, the the privileged people who don't have to worry about getting by, and so many other people do. And and I'm I'm really excited about it because not only lyrically do I like it, and the story it delivers. Um, because this is going to be a totally acoustic album and it's a kind of song that I want the drama and warmth you get from a Hammond B3 mm -hmm. but I can't use one on this mm -hmm. I'm going to bring in some amazing vocalists who together will harmonize in what would be their version of a B3 track on it oh okay and I'm really I will I'll actually have a dear friend of mine uh, uh we Rick Steff, as on the keyboards, he's a national treasure. Yes. He's just amazing. And I will have him play an organ part for the vocalist to learn. It oh. won't show up in the track, but uh, mm -hmm. Rick was the principal keyboard player on For the Feral Heart. So if you listen to that, mm -hmm. uh, he he plays with a with a with what I think they call him country punk, uh, uh, a band called Lucero that's quite quite popular but mm -hmm. uh, so i'm really excited about what we're going to do on this album to really take advantage of the opportunities within acoustic music to bring that rich sound through because mm -hmm. in blues most acoustic albums are one person with a guitar mm -hmm. and it's so much more than that i mean it wasn't you know it, it, it wasn't until the 30s and 40s that there was anything approaching electric music Mm -hmm. So I want to take advantage of that. Oh, that sounds um, wonderful. On, on that song, Keep Your Sugar Out of My Grits, a friend named Bob Coratora, quite quite a, 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 a well-known harmonica player, will be playing on that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a friend, friend of mine named Taz Crew will join me on, on a track called Memphis Wood. Mm -hmm. And it just and it celebrates the the sound of wooden tones in music. Mm -hmm. and how much so much of it can come together in Memphis mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to probably on that use every acoustic guitar I own okay from a you know I've got a baritone and I've got 12 strings I've got a, a Giannini Craviola and it takes a real guitar freak to know what that is uh, <laughs> it's a Brazilian guitar I'll be darned kidney shaped with a D shaped sound hole so it just has a different tone uh huh um but uh, I'll touch on a lot of jazz, and I've got some goofy songs. I've got a song uh, called uh, Girl, You Remind Me of Gas Station Sushi. <laughs> uh, seemed like a good idea at the time, but, you know. In uh, another one, talking with a friend who is going through some real troubles in his life and was trying to calm himself at night with a a little bit of pot and said, now his asthma's kicked in and he can't smoke it. And yeah. I said, well, I can't for a different reason because the stuff is so strong that the second, the second toke puts me on the floor. 
I said, I guess I'm just a one-hit wonder. Ah. And I said, oh, wait a minute. I need to write this down. Make oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, so, and yeah. And, you know, and anticipating a future question, that's where a lot of my songs come from. I'll hear a line or I'll say something and I say, oh, there's a song there. And I've had uh, uh, a dear friend of mine, Victor Wainwright, I was talking with him. It was very late at night. And and we, I had something to do the next day. And I, and I looked at my watch and I said, oh, man. This is something I said for 50 years. It's tired and I'm getting late. <laughs> it's and, tired and I'm getting late. <laughs> yeah. And that confuses people. And he said, yeah. oh, man, better make a great song. So I went to my room and wrote that song. And, and so that's where so many of them come from. Is, is uh, Yeah. Well, it's, you know, the, the chiasmus is an interesting uh, verbal or language form, you know, when you, you kind of turn things around and, mm -hmm. oh, and yeah. puns and, and, and much to my, the suffering of my friends and acquaintances, I love puns. Oh. <laughs> and I constantly am posting and reposting puns on, on Facebook to the point where I think I may have had by now, most of my friends unfriend me. No, not really, but. No, but, but I, I, I understand. I understand. But you know I, what I mean? I mean, it's like, you know, I, 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 it's like, you know, I, my latest one is I took my cow for a walk through the grapes i heard it through the grapevine you know and it's just gotten more groans than you can imagine but but i actually yesterday in the middle somebody mentioned somebody said happy trails and pretty soon somebody mentioned roy rogers uh -huh. so i told the joke about roy rogers going out and and uh his his he'd been attacked by a mountain lion and it chewed up his brand new boots Oh. So he went out and shot it, and he brought it back. And Dale Evans says, "Pardon me, Roy, is that the cat who chewed your new shoes?" Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm I'm bad I, that way too. I love I that love joke. language and what it can I do. Love, it. And uh, if yes. you love language, you've got to appreciate a, even a bad pun. Oh, I tell you, it's uh, 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 <laughs> it's like the the newest one I put says, "I apologize." No, let's see. I just read a new book. I apologize for the bad puns. By no offense. I just, <laughs> oh man. But it's, you know, it's interesting where songs come from. I interviewed a guy, uh, Nick Moss is his know, name. Yeah. He's in, he, do you know Nick? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, it, great, uh, great interview, great guy. And he, and I I asked him, you know, some of the same questions I've asked you. And he, he told me, he says, where he got a lot of his ideas for his songs was off of uh, the marquees in front of Baptist churches. So well, there is that. Yeah. So he said one of the big songs that he's had uh, some success with is the high cost of low living. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I, uh, I you know, and, well. th and things like that, you know, and, uh, and then uh, recently I had a, uh, an interview with uh, actually a band that's based up here in Milwaukee, uh, the altered five blues. I band. knew you were going to say that. Oh, did you? They, they, they all, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how, how, how much I have slipped. They opened for us at a festival a few years ago. Oh, <laughs> okay. For them. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. Well, anyway, their, their new single is uh, great minds drink alike. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but uh, Jeff Schradel, who's uh, the guitarist, mm -hmm. he's, uh, he's actually a VP with Hal Leonard music, which is mm -hmm. one of the largest music publishers in the, in the 
in the world, I guess. And, yeah. uh, but they were, I, I heard them. We've got, we have a wonderful blues festival. In fact, I'll do a plug for it. It's in, uh, they have it, uh, our Waukesha, Wisconsin Rotary sponsors it. Mm. And it's a, a two day blues festival. It's usually mm, second weekend in August. They have, have it over in a, in a park. Uh, not far from here. I, it takes me about 15 oh, minutes I'll, to drive. I'll, I'll have to see if I can get to play it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think you should. I think you should. Uh, and that way I won't have to come to Memphis to hear you. You could come <laughs> to Wisconsin for me to hear you. How's that? Happy uh, to do that. It was, I was, I've got a great, I've got a dear friend I haven't seen in years from Poinette. <laughs> oh, okay. So anyway, I go to this festival mostly because I want to hear Sue, uh, Sue Foley. Because I'd mm -hmm. had Sue Foley on my show, oh, several months ago, and I told her when I learned that she was there, I says, "Yeah, well, I'll definitely be there to hear you play." But uh, Altered Five was on right before Sue, and they just blew me out of the water. Oh yeah. And then when I learned that they were from Milwaukee, I said, "I got to get these guys, uh, you know, on my <laughs> show." And Jeff Taylor, he's the lead singer, and just mm -hmm. a great, great guy, and. Jeff Schradel's the guitarist, and <clears throat> I had them both on, but they were, they were, uh, you know, they were really, really fantastic people to, uh, to interview and great uh, uh, songwriters. And I love what you're talking about with, uh, you know, finding interesting phrases and how you can turn them around and, and then, you know, make them into a song. And that's kind of what tickles our innards, I think. Oh yeah. Uh, when I say that, I mean that as far as an aesthetic response, it tickles our innards when we hear words put together in a unique and different way. And then of course, combined with some really cool uh, musical elements, great riffs and bass lines and rhythmic formulas and so forth. I mean, that's just, that's just what makes us all just feel. You know, and, and, really... and it, it, it's funny being a music geek as, as, as well as just, you know, a, a fan I love to do things, you know, I love to listen to, you know, again, George Martin as a producer puts so much behind the Beatles songs that, that people don't pay attention to. And if you dig in deep, you hear little things, you know, you didn't notice that there's a tambourine in there, <laughs> but so I, I do things in, in, in producing. I did a song. I, you know, I wrote it as a goof and it was, it was, I'm a fan of the walking dead. So I wrote walking and then in parentheses, dead blues. Mm -hmm. classic Robert Johnson song Walking Blues mm -hmm. and I use the the those four notes from the opening of the Adams Family oh, okay as the main hook in it I'll uh -huh. change the, the the syncopated a little bit so you didn't know that's what it was until the very end when we just played it outright uh but as we were recording it and we got into the to the to the bridge my brother-in-law was there. He says, you know, in all these zombie shows, they always are dragging a foot. Can you do that musically? <laughs> and I looked at the drummer and he just mounted. He says, flat tire. So we put a flat tire shuffle, ba-boom, 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 into mm -hmm. the bridge. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and those who know it are laughing like mad when they hear it. My only good about that song is that it was so good musically that people only listen to the goofy lyrics. And I... If the music almost feels wasted, I listen to it, and there's just tremendous performances by the people on it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, well, you know, you know, you know, it's, you know, Mick, it's one of the things. It's like my stock and trade for years 
I was uh, teaching music appreciation at the university level. And mm -hmm. my number one thing was to get people to, <clears throat> to really, you know, dig in and listen to what was going on in the music. Because, you know, most people, I think musically lay people, uh, typically they 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 can't miss perceiving the beat because that's what makes them tap their foot or right. snap their fingers or want to dance. And they very often will relate to a melody because that's what they try to sing in the shower. Right. They don't always get the lyrics right. That's the, true. You know, because we've, you know, we've, we, we just don't always understand or exactly get lyrics correct. But there's two things, at least, that people always miss that they don't really get when they listen to music. And that is the different colors, the timbres, mm -hmm. and the textures, oh. the thickness and the thinness of the music. <laughs> And, and I used to really lean into my students and, and about now listen how, the, you know, like when it was a classical piece, you know, how this composer goes from one, a solo violin to two violins and so forth, thickens mm -hmm. the texture. Or when I would teach it uh, a jazz piece, I used to have a CD where I could isolate the sound of just the bass or just the 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 hi-hat on the drums mm -hmm. or the piano and the ride cymbal, that sort of thing, to try to get them to dig in and listen to those those little little details like you're talking about. That, oh yeah. That if they're not pointed out to you, you miss them. But but for me the absolute joy, you know, I'm I've often asked, well what are your favorite songs? I say, I, you know, I don't have a favorite song, but I have three cherished favorite pieces of music none of which are songs because they don't have, well, one has lyrics and part of it. That one being Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Uh -huh. uh, it is such a, a an amazing emotional roller coaster. Uh, made even more amazing by the fact that the man who wrote it never heard it. Right. I mean, and that just, it, it's stunning. But I listen to that and I cannot not be emotional with that uh -huh. on. And I don't want to be bothered if that's on. I just need to sink into it. And I will sing, you know, right. it's wonderful stuff. The, the second is Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, but it has to be by an American band. I've heard it done by European orchestras. Mm -hmm. They don't get it. It really, there's something uniquely American about the way the musicians will interpret that. Hmm. As it comes through, it's just it, it can be stunning. The other is Benny Goodman's version of Sing Sing Sing, mm -hmm. the live one with Gene Krupa on drums, right? The one from uh, 1938, right? Those three pieces mm -hmm. are so emotional and so mm -hmm. moving and so textured, there's so much behind all of them that that I think. And, and I've had people sit down and spend hours, well, listen, and just and, and they learn to appreciate music at a different level by listening to those. And so I try to do the same thing within uh, within any genre of music. And, you know, what for me, what separates the good stuff from the bad stuff is, do they understand that or are they just trying to give the guitar player room to play? Right, right, right. Well, I, you know, I always love, you know, when my wife and I, we go to the symphony as we did yesterday, uh, we always go to the pre-concert lecture and uh, I always love it when the uh, person presenting the lecture picks the piece apart and tells, really points out some of the salient features that you might otherwise miss if you were just 
you know, sitting back, taking a tone bath. Right. Uh, and I, and I, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and I, that's kind of what I would do with my students related to all, you know, all kinds of music was getting them to, to listen to, uh, you know, the really what's there in substance, not just in structure, although the structure is pretty cool too. Oh yeah. But, uh, but anyway, uh, well, getting, you know, kind of back to your own songwriting then mm -hmm. when you, when you, uh, when you write a song, does it, does it typically start with a, a lyrical idea? It, it does. It typically okay. does. And at the same time, I'm constantly messing around with my guitar or hearing something that'll inspire me. And I've got, you know, voice memos on my phone of little riffs and structures that I want to play with. And I'll pull them into a song. The song almost always starts with the lyrics. Okay. Just because I can build it. I know I'm, I, the story I want to tell when the rest of it comes around it. And I've got a song on uh, my album, Feral Heart, called I Left My Heart in Birmingham. Okay. That that if people say Birmingham, have you ever been there? I said, Yeah, but Birmingham fit, you know. Uh -huh. Austin didn't have enough syllables in it and <laughs> and I, I And somebody already wrote one about shop, San Francisco. But, but you know I was gonna say somebody but, already yeah. wrote one about leaving their heart in San Francisco. Yeah, so, so you could use that, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and that had that had too many syllables. Yeah. But the the reason I'm bringing that song up is that that basic structure of that song and, and the way I played the chords, I've been playing around with that for almost 50 years. And I finally found the lyrics that fit the song, fit the, oh. the music. And uh, so, you know, I've got a, got a, got a few of those. Uh, uh -huh. um, but it's as, and as I've matured as a songwriter, uh, the, 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 the melodic and you know the the production aspects of it bec have become much more important because I want to keep challenging myself and sure you do and uh, you know I had uh, the only music lessons I ever took were at, 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 as a percussionist in in the junior high and high school bands uh -huh. uh, and I taught myself guitar and anything I had learned I you know I, and from theory I'd forgotten but working with very good serious musicians kind of reintroduced me to it and the last couple of years i've been going to uh the, the the north atlantic blues festival in in rockland maine and the mid-coast music academy uh there uh the, the 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 producer of the festival paul benjamin went there and said if you put the kids through an extensive blues camp i will let them open the show on the second day Oh, wow. And so when I played it seven, seven or eight years ago, he asked me if I'd go spend some time with the kids. And I just so fell in love with what they did that now I go there and I spend the whole week with them. Oh, how wonderful. But the first part of they've got two full-time instructors that work with them. And I come in and just really bring the blues flavor. But the first hour of every day is music theory. Uh -huh. And I love it because I'm learning more through that. And oh. And it's, it's, but it's amazing how uh, uh, so many people in blues have no idea about any kind of music theory at all. I mean, guitarists who I would kill if I could play half as well as they say, well, what, what is, what is that chord that you're playing? I said, that's a D ninth. 
I don't play numbers. Yes, you do. I've seen you play that chord. You just don't know what it's called. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You probably call it a D, not understanding the importance right. of adding that E into it that gives them right. a little dissonance. And, and so I might as well be speaking Ukrainian to them. You know, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Right, right. They just know it sounds good. You know, I, I uh, and the thing really pulled me back into it. One of my early albums, I did a song trying to understand Robin Williams' suicide. So mm -hmm. I really dug in deep to under, understand bipolar depression. But by accident, because I was playing it in in uh, in A minor, or it might have been in, in, in G minor, but uh, yeah, it was in G minor because when I went to the D minor for the five, mm -hmm. I didn't. I, I I didn't have my finger down over the uh, to, to make the bar chord, so mm -hmm. I had that open E string, and I played a D minor ninth, mm -hmm. which is a very dissonant, disconcerting chord, mm -hmm. and it was perfect in that song to end each verse mm. with that kind of wake up call, mm -hmm. and, and you know, so I had to chase that idea down for a lot of other songs too okay yeah i can do a lot of you know bob weir from the from the, the grateful dead uh studied jazz and he said if he had to play an a chord in a song and he had to play it 22 times he was going to figure out 22 different ways to play an a chord mm -hmm. so he didn't play it the same way twice in a song that gave them a very unique sound mm -hmm. but that little tidbit again, you know, I, I I run with it. What can I do? And I, and I I have to admit, the the blues audience doesn't pay a lot of attention to those kinds of subtleties. But for those of us that were involved in the production, it's for us. And I'm going to make my stuff sound the best I possibly can. Sure, uh, sure you do. Just for me, and and you know, if nobody else appreciates it, well, I do. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. You have to remember that you and people you play with are an audience for your music as well. Oh, I mean, you're, con you're consuming it as well as making it. Oh, yes. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And if I don't like it, it's not going to happen. So There you go. There you go. Uh, Mick, I want to go back. You mentioned mm -hmm. that uh, you're going to do a Guy Clark song on this right. new upcoming album. Uh, but in general, I, I want to ask you, if you cover an already recorded or performed song, uh, what typically draws you to a song that makes you want to perform it or record it? Boy, you know, it's sometimes a song will just trigger a memory because songs can do that. It's said, like, yeah, that was a great time. But mm -hmm. often it's going to be it, it's going to be the lyrics or something in there to want to deliver. Now, what will be very odd, I'd probably the first for me in these two songs that I'm going to going to do Baby Baby all the time and Baby Took a Limit of Memphis. I'm going to do them pretty much as straight covers. I'm going to sing them the way they were done. Whereas almost anything else, I look to see how I can bluesify it. You know, I call them uncovering. I okay. uncover the blues that's hidden in it. You know, the mm -hmm. first one I ever did on a recording was was the box top song, The Letter. Mm -hmm. And I played it as a blues song. And then I did Mama Told Me Not to Come. Uh, mm. A Randy Newman song. Randy Newman wrote that for the animals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Three Dog Night grabbed it before the animals did, mm -hmm. and he wrote it quite bluesy and kind of sinister. I mean, mm -hmm. his, his girlfriend overdoses; she's passed that on the floor. This isn't a good thing. 
But, you know, in 1970, it was a party. So what the heck? Right. So, right, you know, right. I tried to get back to the original meeting. I'm, I'm Feral Heart, I did Feeling All Right, the Dave Mason song, mm-hmm. who wrote it about his divorce. Mm-hmm. Joe Cocker didn't listen to the lyrics because he certainly didn't pronounce them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it made it into a happy dancey song. And, you know, so mm-hmm. he did it. Three Dog Night did it. And Grand Funk did it. All is this party song. Mm-hmm. Well, the song is about a divorce. Are you feeling all right? I'm not mm-hmm. feeling too good mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. So I put it in a minor key and, and, and made it as sad as it's supposed to be. And so that's that's really what I try to do is can I take that and bluesify it? And and make the song really mean something to me. I mean, I did. Uh, uh, I can't. Get, well, in fact, I'm going to be producing an album of all my uncovers, and it'll be called Uncovered. Okay. Because I, I did. I can't get next to you. Uh, the the uh, the Bar- Barrett Strong song done by the Temptations. You know, I can turn a gray sky blue. I can make it rain. But I slowed it down and did it as a blue song. I thought, what if BB King did this song? Mm-hmm. I, I did a Christmas album a couple of years ago, and the opening track is a song. I, I honestly, I probably heard it, but never listened to it. But I came across the sheet music, and I said, I can turn this into a blues song. It's all I want for Christmas is you. And mm-hmm. I still insist that Mariah Carey owes me money for improving that song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, you know, can I do it as a blues song and make it mean something to me? It's just really what it takes. You know, it's interesting uh, what is going through my mind as I hear you talk about this. And it makes me think about uh, like lines written in a play. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're words, the words. Okay. In and to themselves, they're just, just the words. But it is the actor that gives those words meaning. Oh, and. Yeah the way in which the words are inflected, which syllables get emphasized over other syllables can really change the meaning of those words or Mm -hmm. just, just, you know, particular, you know, inflections. I, I kind of, as I'm always into just tons of different things, but I'm currently uh, kind of getting into uh books on cognitive linguistics and and how language really exists in our minds it's not the words we speak or it's not what we write it's mm-hmm. it has to do with more of a on a cognitive and then we have you know and and i guess that's also why when we can say things that uh language is inadequate to describe what we experience with music but my point is, I guess, is getting back to what you're saying before I digress any further, <laughs> is that you can take something that's already been done and kind of, like you say, you uncover it. There could be a lot of other terms one could apply, uh, remix, uh, redo, but it can really just give a whole different uh, spin, a different meaning, or can, again, peel away the onion skin Mm-hmm. From the being a party song to being what it's really about. Oh, absolutely. Uh, from the lyrics. And you know, I think if, that that's, if, that's if a, you take you take most Beatles songs and slow them down, you find a deeper meaning in them. Uh mm-hmm. and a song that didn't make it to Feral Heart because the violinist I wanted to use got COVID. Uh 
the Beatles song, Hello, Goodbye, if you mm -hmm. just slow it down and sing it sadly, it is easily a song about a relationship falling apart. Mm -hmm. uh, all it had was goofy lyrics until you do it that way. I actually did on one of my acoustic albums, did a very, very slow version of Help. And when I sent demos of it to people, what I got back, are you all right? Is it? I just sang a Beatles song. I'm not saying I need help. Listen to what this song is. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's fascinating because if you do that, because as you were saying before, people will listen to the melody and the music. And I, I did an entire album of Beatles songs done as acoustic blues. And people, and I've had people say, I was into the third song before I realized you were singing Beatles songs because oh. they were new to me this way. Yeah. Yeah, that album was called "You Can't Do That." Yeah, uh, but uh, but it, it's it's interesting. I hear it as a whole package, and other people are going to just hear their parts. And and I guess if you're good at misinterpreting the lyrics, then hearing them sung to a different melody, you don't even know it's the same song. Well, I you know sometimes when I was uh, teaching history of rock and roll, I would talk about how, in my humble opinion, sometimes covers of certain people's originals was were, were better than the originals well you can say that about most bob dylan songs <laughs> yeah well you know i mean there have been some really great songs made from you know what bob oh, yeah. dylan did originally that's absolutely oh, gosh, true. yes yes yeah well, so, so many and and uh um and and it's it's funny they can take on a life of their own i just oh and i was just watching you know Thing. The top 10 songs that you didn't know were covers. Well, I actually did, and a lot of people didn't. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of my favorite Otis Redding songs is when he did Try a Little Tenderness, hmm. uh, which Three Dog Night also did. Mm -hmm. But that song was originally sung in the 30s by the same guy who introduced the song The Teddy Bear's Picnic. Hmm. And to hear these songs go through... It's just like history. It changes according to current social norms. <laughs> hmm. uh, to hear these songs as they developed over time, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's fascinating. So to hear that original Try a Little Tenderness and where it got by the time you put Otis Redding's soul behind it, it's a totally different song using the same lyrics. But I try to take that when, I, when I'm putting the music to a song, uh, one of the things I, I said, and I, I, boy, I came across this early on, the music is not the sound of the song. To me, because the lyrics are so critical, the music is the soundtrack of the song. Mm -hmm. And that music needs to advance the message, you know, the lyrics that are in there, and enhance it. And And so I really work hard on that. Well, in the words of the early 17th, late 16th century composer Claudio Monteverdi, the music is the mistress to the, to the words or to the lyrics oh, or I the like text. That a lot. Yeah. Well, he was, he was one of those founders of uh, opera. Okay. Yeah. And, I certainly and, know the name. Familiar and the name. that was, that was the whole idea of, of uh, first of all, development of, monody over polyphony or well polyphony 
mm-hmm. in the late uh, 16th, early 17th century. But the idea to give greater clarity and more meaning to the lyric was by stripping away all of the other polyphonic lines and sure. then making music, making the instrumental part, the mistress to to the the text to enhance the text and make it more yeah. dramatic. And, and, and for me, I see blues as serving that same purpose as opera because it is the story. Yep, it that, sure is. So critical there, and the music needs to move that along, not get in the way of it. I used to love to make the comparison between, uh, because I would I would uh, play for my students a German leader, like uh, Schubert's Der Erlkönig, which mm-hmm. is uh, this you know in three minutes is this really amazing little story that is full of visual imagery and then i would i would uh say okay now let's consider this song and i'd play uh uh Howlin wolf's smokestack lightning oh yeah and i'd say now i want you to know something that this song is about a heck of a lot more than just a steam locomotive mm-hmm. you know and i want you to really see if you can envision what what uh what uh, he's getting at and and the power and the drive of, of that's a of really that. really good example in there that well you know i always like to try to teach my students that just mm-hmm. because it's ancient doesn't mean it isn't relevant i used to also oh. love to play for him a song from the 14th century which was about uh about a guy breaking up with his girlfriend basically and uh and it and and you know and then i'd follow that up with hank williams there's a tear in my beer and i say it's Mm -hmm. expressing the same thing it's you know people have been falling in and out of love for centuries and it's that the emotion from the 14th century isn't any different than it you know is today or when hank williams was crying in his beer you know that that reminds me of, of a lyric from one of harry nelson's songs called joy to the world yeah. If everyone was happy, there wouldn't be a love song. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I think that there's 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 just a lot of good in, in what we're talking about here. I just love where our conversation has gone. Uh, I want to just shift thought, gears. Yes. It's, it's, it's not my typical radio interview. I love it. Well, I'm glad you love it because <laughs> because I want to give, you know, all of my guests, I like, you know, some are, are first timers and some are seasoned veterans. And I, if anything, I like to try to give the, give all of my guests something different and try to ask some questions that, that maybe they're not typically asked. And, and, uh, and I, I usually get that kind of good feedback from people. Uh, but uh, well, I, 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 let me interrupt for a second. I have to say, I've never been in a radio interview that triggered my very, very fond memory of Schubert's Di Forelle. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you have it. So you'll remember me now. I'll be unique. Yeah. Yes. Well, and, then, and then it's, you know, what's funny, I tell you a quick funny story. We have a Samsung washer and dryer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was having a rehearsal here at my home back. Um, oh, it's been a couple, three weeks ago. And I had a, young lady in this group happens to be a new Orleans style brass band and she plays Barry sax. And so we're rehearsing and we stopped playing and she stopped. She says, is that D Ferreira? And I said, yes. And she says, where's that coming from? And I said, I think it's our washing machine because our washing machine, when the cycle is done, it plays D Ferreira. <laughs> <laughs> And she said, I thought I recognized that from yes. she'd just been learning about it in music history. 
that that's a fascinating thing for I thought you were going to go for a pun because the sand no. means so much. <laughs> no, this this is you know, and that was the thing. She says, "Oh yeah, it must be a Samsung," because now I remember that's what my mom and dad have too, because Samsung washers and dryers instead of just a buzzer, it'll it'll play D little you know instrumental version of D Ferella. But anyway, wow, I might need to buy one just because of that, <laughs> or at least or at least go to the store and have them demo it for you. you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Anyway, but, uh, you know, but, I try to put little samples of things like. Like that and bring things like that into it either classical or you know classic rock i did a song years ago today being my birthday of, as i'm reminded of the song called time ain't on my side uh, time ain't on my side <laughs> and, and it, it, the opening line is i just had another birthday and this thought came over me uh, suddenly i'm not half the man i used to be but <laughs> but uh but the riff i open it with is uh Yes, on the Beatles, but like I say, you do it a little differently. You know, happy birthday from the Beatles, but I go. Yeah. I had another birthday. So I, you know, I love to pull those in, and some people will pick them up, but I have. Uh, you know, I've used little little motifs from Beethoven in the middle of a song just because I want to. Sure. In fact, I'm working with a guitar player. It's going to be, I, I, I'm also planning a subsequent album after this one called Friends with Guitars, and each song will have a different guitar player on it. Oh, cool. And I'm working with a young guy, and I said, I want to do this song. Uh, it, it, I, it's an original called And Then It Hit the Fan. And I said, I want it to be a kind of a, a call and response to the riff you keep coming back to, very typical in blues. Uh, and I said, see if you can get inspired by that that hook Jimi Hendrix used to open Purple Haze. Oh, sure. Make something out of that so that it inspires it. Don't copy it. Mm -hmm. Don't see, you know what what he comes up with. But uh, you know they say they say uh, uh, bad writers borrow and good writers steal. That's right. So, <laughs> well, I think if I remember correctly, that opening lick is just a tritone. Yeah. If I remember right. Wait a minute. Yeah, and it goes back to the one. Yeah. And uh so yeah, you could do the uh maybe the opposite or something. Anyway, well that's if that's always opposite, you know I'm just syncopating it can make it work, you know. Yeah. Well, it's like I always love I have a trad jazz band too. And I, one of my favorite tunes, and we do it every gig because it is my favorite tune, is Jelly Roll Martin's Dead Man Blues. Sure. Because it opens with a quote of the Chopin Funeral March. Mm -hmm. And I always like to tease our audience. I'll say, well, this next tune we're going to do, we're going to have a little trivia question here. And uh, uh, Jelly Roll Martin's tune that we're going to do, actually, he borrows from a well-known classical composer and i said if you can name the composer and the composition you will win my undying admiration <laughs> <laughs> well we got uh, uh, when you come to memphis i'll make sure you're here on a thursday so you can hear the eric hughes band okay but what they do every show because they, they play on beale street so you've got to you don't have the same audience every night right uh but they will they will offer you know the first person who comes up and ident correctly identifies this song, can pick from any of our six CDs. Uh -huh. 
but you've got to get it right. And it's going to be the first one. And they do a really nicely composed, almost Southern rock take on the theme from Sesame Street. <laughs> uh, but uh, they do it. You, you'll, you'll, I, you've got to come down and, and see them. They okay. just incorporate some wonderful things into their music. Right. Uh, because you've got that, that, that you know, just uh, again, some of these amazing Memphis musicians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, Mick, I just have a couple more questions and then we can wind things up. Uh, This is (laughs) one that's just more. (laughs) (laughs) This next question is one that's just mostly a curiosity. Uh, But uh, uh, if you could perform, because you've performed already with some just amazing people. But if you could perform with any artist you have never performed with, living or dead, who would that artist be and why? You know, I I have to say it would be Louis Armstrong. Okay. Uh, I would love to lick swap lines with him back and forth in a song. Uh, he just seemed like living joy. Mm-hmm. Certainly when he performed, but it, in his life in general, and I just think that would be more fun than a person I'd be allowed to have. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've loved what he's done. I love, love, you know, what he could do vocally and where he came from. And I just think that that would be such a, such a thrill, probably more than anybody. And I've shared the stage with some amazing people. Oh, yes, you have. <laughs> That's why I was really curious as to yeah. what your answer would be, because, uh, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, Louis Armstrong, uh, incredible Incredible person, incredible musician. And I think, uh, you know, Tony Bennett summed it up best. You know, if you're not singing Louis Armstrong's phrasing, you're not singing American music. I mean, that's just the impact of the guy. I I happen to think about when you, as soon as you mentioned his name, a recording that I've heard of uh, uh, Louis Armstrong and Lottie Lenya singing Mac the Knife. And he is trying to teach her how to sing it the way he sings it. (laughs) And she doesn't quite get the rhythmic formula. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these outtakes from the recording, you know, and, uh, but it's, it's always, he's very kind, but it's very interesting to kind of listen to him interact with her. uh, And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, he was probably just a, like you say, a joy to be around. But uh, anyway, but speaking of people that have been a joy to be around, Mick, I've I've enjoyed talking with you. It's just been awesome is, you know, it's just one kind of wrap up question, though, uh, because I like to be complete. Is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience I have not asked you about? You know, maybe the one thing is uh, I try to use my music for a lot of things. I started a record label with the, the stated goal of losing as little money as possible so I could help in, you know, my friends, independent artists, not make the same mistakes I'd made across the, the course of 13 albums and help them get ahead and negotiate this strange new world of digital music. But uh, I like to use my music to advance causes. I'm putting together a thing, working with some with a group called the Memphis Drum Tribe, to put on a benefit for 
to help feed people in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do a lot of that. I, I uh, frequently will, uh, I'll get a hold of a blue society and say, I'm going to be in your area. Would you like to put on a benefit to raise money or awareness or something? Give me a place to stay and I'll play. And, okay. uh, you know, cause I want to use my music for good. <laughs> well, I think that's, that's honorable and admirable. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I guess I feel the same way about what I do. I do a lot of uh, charity things and I, I don't even think about whether I'm making a buck or not. It doesn't matter if I can oh, bring yeah. joy into somebody's life. If I can mm -hmm. help somebody, I said, it's all I really care about. But, but, uh, but uh, that's wonderful that you're doing that, Mick. Uh, well, listen, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today. And, uh, and I want to wish you all the best with the new record and uh, all the you know other club dates and things you've got coming up and and in all all the best with what i'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical future i'm sure hoping thank you i have really enjoyed this too i get a chance to to talk about things that in most in most blues discussions uh, don't pop up so i appreciate it <laughs> well I, I i take that as a supreme compliment because i try to ask the questions i think nobody else is going to ask and uh, that's the teacher in me, you know, constructing the final exam, I guess, asking the questions that the students aren't going to expect, right? <laughs> yeah. But you, you know what I did, as, you know, again, as a recovering academic, uh, uh, I got to the point after a couple of years that before I would build a lesson plan, I would write the final exam based on what I wanted them to leave with uh -huh. and then teach to what was going to be the final. Oh, yeah. Because my job wasn't to trick them into messing up. My yeah. job was to teach them things I needed them to know. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. Well, thanks again, Mick, and you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. I plan on it. All right. Take Bye care, now. and I hope to catch up with you soon. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. My Discovery Composer of the Week is Jean-Ferry Rebel. Born in Paris in 1666, he also died in Paris in 1747. Rebel showed talent for music by the age of eight. Having attracted the notice of Lully, he became his pupil in the violin and composition. He was mentioned in December of 1700 as one of the instrumentalists from the opera who accompanied Philippe of Anjou to Spain. From August 18, 1705, he was one of the 24 violons de Roy. On March 30, 1718, he obtained from Michel Richard Le Lalande rights of reversion to the post of chamber composer to the king, and he duly succeeded his brother-in-law in this post on Lalande's death. He and his son, Francois, were also musicians in the royal chapel. As he grew older, he gradually gave up his various posts in favor of his son, Francois. With one exception, Rebel's works are secular. His earliest pieces are trio sonatas and sonatas for violin and continuo, the latter composed about 1695 and published in 1712. 
Rebel is thus one of the first composers of sonatas in France. At the age of 36, he composed his only opera, Ulysse, which proved unsuccessful when performed at the Académie. Rebel's dance music, on the other hand, was extremely successful. His first such work was a caprice choreographed for the famous Mademoiselle Prévost. Rebel's last work was Les Elements, preceded by a movement called Chaos or Chaos. Its harmonic daring, its orchestral coloring, and the originality of its conception make Chaos a masterpiece of 18th century French instrumental music. Rebel was the first French composer to give dance a place of its own outside dramatic spectacles. As well as being innovative, these choreographed pieces bear witness to Rebel's art with their play of orchestral timbres, their nuances, their contrast produced by the juxtaposition of dances in different moods, and their outstanding rhythmic effects. The All Music Guide lists five recordings of his music for ballet, 22 recordings of his chamber music, one recording of his opera Ulysse, and two recordings of his work for orchestra. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube performance of Rebel's La Cajos from his Les Elements performed by the German Chamber Philharmonic Orchestra of Bremen, conducted by Peter Jigstra. That wraps episode number 130. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Coming up next week will be my interview with New York City-based jazz bassist, composer, bandleader, and educator Ben Allison. Other upcoming interviews include jazz trumpet player Brian Pareski, Chicago bluesman Derek Procell, Chicago blues harp player Martin Lang, and Minneapolis-based rock, soul, and funk singer and band leader Mae Simpson. So don't touch that dial and stay tuned. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at uwm.edu. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.